Welcome to the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm your host, Kelsey Brendel. No, she's not. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome in. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Justin Berg. It is the conference tournament edition of the BCJ Podcast here on BearcatJournal.com. And I uh, got a lot to talk about as uh, I get set. We'll be heading off to Memphis tomorrow. Drop, Dropping off the wife and kid in Nashville. Go away, kid. <laughs> My eight-year-old wanted to uh, wanted to be a part of the podcast tonight. So, budding podcast star Kelsey Brendel. She she's bugging me, Berg, for her own YouTube channel at eight. Oh, yeah. She sounded okay there, though. You know, I mean, it, it took her a couple takes, but she. I thought she was pretty good. She just slows down a little bit. She'll have it. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I wanted to hear. You're not you're not helping the matter, any Berg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the point. Oh, <laughs> uh, like I said, a lot to get to today as we get ready for the Bearcats traveling to Memphis for the conference tournament. We'll uh we'll briefly touch on what happened uh last Sunday, I guess. Uh and then uh try to get to get a, a fair assessment of this team as we get into the postseason. It's been a uh it's been an interesting journey, twenty five and six, which I believe is right on the money with what I predicted. I believe. I can't remember if I said twenty six and five or twenty five and six. I think yeah, I well, said twenty five and six. I think you did too. And I, I was I was in the twenty two and nine crowd. I felt like it was gonna be a few more losses with this with the schedule what as it came out. And I thought that there was gonna be some tougher road games in conference play. I thought Xavier or and or UCLA might be a little bit better than terrible at the time. I guess that's that's what they were. But they might be bad instead of yeah. terrible. Yeah. So, but yeah, you, you nailed it. You you had more faith in the Bearcats, especially in conference play. I think I actually picked Houston to win the conference too. You did. You definitely did. I remember that. And I, I was saying what, Temple was my dark horse and you said Houston's going to win it. I, I think what I missed was I, I had UCF third. They finished technically fourth, tied for third with Temple. Um, so yeah, I, I was – I was leading prognosticator on the BCJ podcast this year. You usually do a better job than that at me. I just uh, I, had, I had a good feeling on this year that, uh, one, I, I kind of was cheating in the fact that I knew Dijon Giroux was really good. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, I had a cheat code on that one because I was well aware of that kid's talent. So uh, I knew that eventually you know, he had some issues at the beginning of the season and missed the first couple games and – um, by the time he got rolling, though, he made them a different team, and uh, I didn't. I didn't foresee Corey Davis being as good as he was. Uh, I thought that was kind of a one-two punch with him and Armani Brooks, and man, he had a hell of a senior year. And uh, hat tip to that kid, man. I, I don't know if you saw everything that went down today. I know you were out uh, chopping up poison ivy or whatever it was. Yep. Um, he Jaron was named American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. Uh, I, I wouldn't have had a problem if it was Jaron, if it was Corey Davis, or if it was Jeremiah Martin. Uh, I thought all three had fantastic senior or, or seasons, senior seasons for the other two, junior season for Jaron. Um, but he came out on social media, said, man, Jaron's a great player, had a couple great matchups with him this year, really happy for him. Um, really class act by Corey Davis to, to do things the way that he did and, and to, to give Jaron some love for, uh, for winning conference player of the year. 
yeah, he, by all accounts, he's a great kid. He even after the Sunday's game when Mick Cronin said that he voted for him, and then he came out on social media, Corey Davis did, and said, you know, he, Coach Cronin's one of his favorite coaches in the league, and he, he, you know, says respect and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of good kids in this league, and he's he's at, he's at the top of the list. Junior college kid, easy kid to root for. Um, but Kelvin Sampson found a, a a real steal in that one. That one, I mean, hat tip to you. That's that's getting an evaluation right when a kid comes in from junior college and does what Corey Davis Jr. has done over the last two two years. Yeah, I guess the fact that he was only six foot one probably scared some folks away. Yeah, that that that'd be my guess. But I know he came out as a point guard from New Orleans and he was ranked pretty high um, in the state. Yeah, because he and Jacob Evans are good friends, I believe. Yeah, they were in the same class. But just thinking back to last year, I remember when UC and Houston played, like the two of them specifically like searching each other out before and after games and like talking, and and I do believe those two were close. Yeah. And he so, uh, he did some business on Sunday. He did. Boy, he was good. Jeez. Ugh. That was um, – we'll, we'll talk about it for – a brief period of time. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but you want to put a, you want to put a minutes limit on this? <laughs> well, like it's a, one like of the, a... <laughs> what, what I think needs to be talked about is that was a once in a decade thing at fifth third arena. One, they never lose on senior day and two, nobody ever hits the gas on them like that in inside fifth third arena. And boy, UC got up six Corey Davis Jr. gets a three-point play. I believe Hinton hit a three in the corner to tie it back up. And next thing you know, man, they just turbo-boosted. And before you could even – I mean, it was what? It was only a three- or four-minute stretch that that thing was like a 16-2 to two run. And the game was – it felt like all but over at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, you got to tip your cap. Like, when it comes down to – and I, we, I said the same thing on this podcast two years ago. Sometimes there's another team that's just the better team. Two years ago, SMU was better than UC. Agreed. With Semi Ojale and Sterling Brown. And, I mean, that was that was a team that was one step above UC. This year, Houston was one step above UC. Like, congratulations. It, it, <laughs> hell of a job. Hell of a, hell of a season. 29-2 is unbelievable. Like, that's all you can do is just give them credit and say, man, they were really freaking good this year. Yeah, and in the game on Sunday, you're not used to, as a, as a UC fan, having that helpless feeling. And they had it against SMU in the, in the conference tournament a couple years ago. That was, the, that was the rubber match for those two teams, and SMU just blasted them. And usually it's that the, you know, the UC's opponent is hitting threes at a high rate, and UC's missing all their threes. And that, I mean, that was definitely the case. On Sunday, but yeah, you just you think back over the years, it's like what? How often at home does that happen to them, where they just have no chance uh, in the final five ten minutes? And you know, I'm thinking back like some shooting performances like that, like all the way back to '97 with with um, South Carolina. I think they were like 14 for 25 or some crazy thing, something like just a really they just didn't miss the whole game though. This was, you know, it was back and forth, back and forth, and then UC jumped out to that lead. What was it about? Maybe five minutes into the second half or so, maybe five or seven. There was somewhere. thirteen, thirteen okay. twenty-two left. They were up by six. All so. right, seven minutes. Okay, so so right in that right in that window, and then yeah, I mean, 
the thing that that was impressive about Houston was all the whole game, even before that, like in the first half, UC jumped up, was it a, a seven or eight point lead? And and Corey Davis comes right back and hits a three with a guy right in his face. Like they just as soon as UC was trying to get some separation, Houston was like, that ain't going to happen because I got this. And then this, and DeJon Droz got that. And then, oh, look, Nate Hinton comes off the bench for four, four threes. It's just they, they were not going to let UC. Now, here, here's the way I look at this game is. You think about, remember two years ago, or maybe it was, actually, I'm sorry, three years ago, senior day, SMU, um, at Fifth Third Arena, and UC really kind of needed that win to um, to prove that they were a tournament team, and they just, it was a very ugly, low-scoring game. They beat them 61-54. They just kind of like, you know, played really good D, rebounded, all the, all the usual stuff, and I felt like that was probably the path to to beating Houston. And I think that's what they were trying to do. Houston was like, we're going to take that challenge and we're going to shove it right back in your face. And we're going to out rebound you by 14. And, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to lock you up on defense down the stretch. So like, that was what was most impressive to me about Houston was they took what they took exactly what UC was trying to do to them. And they like doubled it back at them. I, I don't think where they shoved it was the face. <laughs> I know this is a family podcast, but that's not where they shoved it. Is it a family podcast? Uh, we well, have Dan kids Hord, listening to this. Dan Horde sometimes listens with Sam in the oh, car. Oh, okay. We we got we got we got we got reprimanded for that when uh, Dave we did it. It was after the UCLA football <laughs> game. We decided to do a podcast on a Saturday night at eleven thirty after they beat UCLA, and as you could imagine, uh, Dave was in Nashville. And I was home, and both of us were um, enjoying several some, deep, <laughs> uh, enjoying some beverages, and 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 Dave dropped uh, dropped an f bomb in the in the middle of the podcast, and Dan was driving around with Sam, and Sam's in the back seat. I think Sam's like twelve now. Oh. Sam's in the back. Sam's in the back seat, just giggling, and Dan's like, "Oh, Chad." <laughs> wow, I, I was one third that kid's age, and I was saying stuff way worse than that. So I guess. Good job. By yeah, Dan. I mean, good job by Dan know. to shield him from that kind of language. But you know, I yeah, twelve-year-olds I mean, these days are they're sneaking they're sneaking on Netflix and watching Big Mouth and all kinds of stuff. Like well, I mean, he obviously knew what it was because he yeah. was giggling. It it's just, just I'm sure, it just it made Dan uncomfortable. Some, yeah, it, yeah, wasn't it wasn't somewhere that it was expected that that was going to drop. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, this is becoming one of those podcasts where we don't want to talk about this game, so we're just trying to anything else that pops up, we're willing to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that, that's accurate. And but yeah, like I said, I, I mean, so they didn't shove it wherever they shoved it. It it, it, it wasn't hurt. pleasant wherever they shoved it. Yeah, it, it was not it hurt. Pleasant. It hurt. And um and I don't know. I mean, the, 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 we don't need to get into this too deep, but there were people who were on the message board or maybe on Twitter a little bit thinking that like. You see quit in that game down the stretch. I don't know if that's necessarily accurate, but I'm not sure how you saw it. I mean, I, 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 I quit. I don't think works because this team has never quit like that. Yeah, that that's not something that defines this team. I think what happened was that's a team that was hell bent on grinding out a, a share of that title. And when you got to the point where they were getting blitzed with five or six minutes left. I think they just realized like it's over. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they were it, the wind was out of their sails. Yeah, there's an emotional dip that happens when that reality sets in. Like and as fans, it's easy to say, I can't believe they did that, but they're still eighteen to twenty two year olds 
that are dealing with real life emotions. And those real life emotions were, we worked our ass off for this and now it's going to slip through our fingers. Like that's real life emotion. Yeah. And like you said, the, the, yeah, that long buildup too, of, of all these last three months, I mean, think about how hard they've had to work to get, what was it? Were they 14 and four in the league? I mean, yeah. it, it was, I mean, they weren't just like beating everyone by 20 and having coast. They had like two or three games where they coasted and every other game was just, I mean, every ounce of energy, blood, sweat and tears, all the cliches. And then you're, you, you're, yeah, like you said, you're, you're in this situation where you, you're feeling good 47, 41. You, you know, this is a great team you're playing. This is a top, this is a top 10 team. Like, Houston should get a number two seed. They, they probably will get pushed out because of stupid Kentucky, Tennessee, whatever, that higher, you know, better conference. And they played better schedules or whatever the case is. But, like, you know, either way, they're a top ten team. And UC had them, not on the ropes, but, I mean, they took some punches and they were still – and then they, they, they pulled ahead. And then, yeah, and then all of a sudden you go from up six thinking, like, man, like, we're, we're 13 minutes away. And then five minutes later you're like, man, we're down by 15. This what the what the hell just happened? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Like, I I don't think it was a matter of they quit by any nah. stretch of the imagination. I do think it was shocking because it's yeah. not something you ever see from a Cincinnati team. But I I think in that in that moment it's understandable because it's just the finality of it. Like they, there there's no there's no in that last game of the season. It's, it's senior day. You're trying to win for Justin and Kane. Like the finality. There there's no. In terms of the regular season, there's no tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't exist. It is, we just lost our chance. Right. And that is going to hit you hard when that's when that sets in. So. But also, one other thing. I mean, when you're playing as hard as you can and Houston makes like eight out of nine threes, and you're, you've, you, I mean, some of them are open, but a lot of them you, you're there. You got a hand in the face. Guys in the corner on the other side of the backboard or Corey Davis just hit like a, you know, crossover dribble, step back, like with a guy in his face from the right wing. Like, you know, I mean, you're just like, what, what, what else can we do? We're playing, we're playing as hard as we can and they're making everything. So that's, that's just another little thing that, that'll, that'll knock you back. And just like, you just have like a dejected feeling like what, what are we supposed to do? I I don't know if you listen to the coaches show or not, but Mick confirmed what we were afraid of as well. Um, Remember the what second offensive possession of the game for Cincinnati? Jaron. Yeah. Jaron Jaron drives, takes a knee from um somebody, Fabian White or who knows. I think it was the other one. I don't know. The, their centers to me are just Breon Brady. It was Breon Brady. Breon Brady in his in his 18 seconds of action with four yeah. fouls. Jeez. Their their centers to me are just 15 fouls. Like that's their name. <laughs> this guy I've never seen a guy foul at that rate. Than, than Brian Brady does against Cincinnati. But anyway, continue with, with Cumberland's status. But he said that that Jaron continued to try to play through it, but it was a matter of as the game wore on, it continued getting tighter and tighter and tighter. It's kind of like a Charlie horse uh, right in that thigh area. And that's, that's ultimately why with six minutes left, I think he got beat off the drive. Yeah, there he just a- tried to like – he got beat, then he, he tried like, to reach from behind. It. Yeah, yeah, he owed, definitely, definitely Ole. And, and and at that point, that's why Mick sat him for the rest of the game because, you know, he obviously was in some discomfort. I mean, that's how much of a warrior the kid is. Outside of, he limped around for what about twenty seconds after it happened. Yeah, and then never really displayed that anything was bothering him. 
but it it, it 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 continued tightening up, and that's why they sat him for the rest of the game. At that point in time, though, six I think six something, six fifteen, six twenty left. Uh, they sat him for the rest of the game, and I mean, it just I don't even know what else to say about that game other than you just tip your hat to Houston and say, hey, they knew that this was their year to win the championship, and they went out and won it. And congratulations, they had the best team in the American this year. Yeah, I mean, it was it was this, UC tasted the same feeling last year when they won on Wichita State's floor, and if Wichita State would have won, it would have been a share, right? And so, and it, UC it, was the best team. Yeah, exactly, and it, so it happened to. Happened to them what they were able to enjoy last year. So that's just the way it goes. But either way, 14 and four, second place. I mean, you know, everyone was Not talking bad. about, yeah, everyone's talking about all this uh, rebuilding and all this stuff. But the, the, they've, they've just, in the last three years, they've just dominated this league. There's just been a couple teams uh, this year's Houston and, like you said, SMU a couple years ago that they just they had a hard time dealing with. But for the most part, everybody else, I mean, they smacked them all. Yep, I think that's. I think we're good. Yeah, move on. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you. You've got some some topics and things that you want to talk about, so I'll turn it over to you. Okay. Well, I think now that the regular season is over, you step back and you take a look at this team because I know everybody's thinking at this point, what? How good are they? Right? What? What's the chances of getting you know, past the first weekend? It's it's, it's all it's ever going to be, and you know when you're this consistent. And you get to the tournament every year, and you got to, you know, everybody wants to make a run. So, so I, I just feel like let's just go through and um, go through each phase of the game, and then um, and just look at this team and decide: Do you have more questions, or are there more answers with with each phase? So we can start with UC's offense. And as the as the year went from the non conference and in the first part of the conference season. On Ken Palm, they're in the 30s on offense, and they're humming. Justin Jennifer's hitting shots. I mean, everyone's contributing. It fits together well. Then you hit February, the kind of the doldrums, the dog days, and now they're they're back up to like in the 50s and 60 area, which is um, you know, so so they they've regressed and they had some really really poor showings shooting the ball, um, especially on the road. So. Where are you with, with UC's offense at this point? It's been a weird season on that side of the ball, all things considered. Um, I mean, I think you're seeing the, the end result is you're seeing some guys, I don't want to say hit the wall, but are dealing with playing 31 games, uh, not just playing 31 games, but instead of playing 15 minutes a night, playing 32 minutes a night. Um. So I think that that is, has been the cause of some of the, the recent inefficiency. Uh, I think some of it is also teams have been allowed to manhandle them. Um, that, and I've said this in a couple different uh, venues now. I thought the crew on Sunday did a really good job. I, I thought it was the game was fairly called. Um, I, you know, there's some missed stuff here and there, but I don't get too caught up in that. What I just I, I want the game to be properly officiated. You know, if a guy's getting mugged, call that he's getting mugged. And Jaron got Jaron picked up, t- put ten fouls on Houston, which is about right. Like that's, you know, maybe that's even a little low, but at least they were willing to blow the whistle when Houston was mugging him. So I think we saw some return to to what the offense should have been uh, against Houston. Um, you know, maybe 
that last 10 minutes skews it. But still, over that last, you know, 12-minute stretch, they scored 22 points. It was just that Houston scored 44. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. I, I think the offense has a chance to get back more to normal as we get into tournament play, to be a little bit more of what we've seen uh, through the early part of the, you know, the first 20 games, uh, first 22 games or so than what we saw over the last nine. Um, but it has to be a concern because it was a lot more efficient the early part of the year than it was down the stretch. The shooting percentages down the stretch were a concern. Yeah. Because well, their field goal percentage was way down over the last, like, eight or nine games. Yeah, and part of that, I'm sure, is that you're going to always return rematches in conference, a lot of familiarity, and you're visiting some some arenas that you generally don't shoot well and not many people do. So, yeah, they're, they're, I, I think sometimes – there's there's some misnomers or some it kind of leads you astray in your mind when you when you focus on things that happen in conference play and try to try to, to equate that to what what does that mean for the postseason just be it, just be it's just like you said it's so so familiar it's just so everyone knows everything you're doing and then like you said they got away with some stuff um grabbing jaron they slowed him down a few games i mean if he's if he's only scoring eight to 11 points instead of 20 plus then yeah that's going to bring your points per possession down so yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. It's I I, don't, I can't tell if I have more questions or more answers. Um, I think that there's more answers than when the season started. That 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 you know, as far like because you know Keith Williams is one guy that nobody was sure. I mean, actually, you look at who replaced Evans, Washington, and Clark. Right, you got Brooks, Scott, Keith Williams. They've all been pretty consistent as far as like you know playing well. On, on both ends of the floor. But I guess the concern for me would be, or the question I would have is like Houston did not let UC get to the offensive glass much in that game. And cause UC wasn't making their threes and they weren't able to stick them back in. And that's why they weren't able to score with them. And that's, that's always a concern going into the postseason Cause you, when you start playing this really good competition, you're not just going to be able to like, man, like, you know, you look at that temple game who, who's, who's, you know, a borderline tournament team probably in, and how did they beat them in that second half? They just destroyed them on the offensive glass. If if Temple was halfway decent holding them off, I don't think UC wins that game. And that's the type of thing that they run into in the tournament. So I would say that um, if, if the efficiency is dropping off that much and they're not able to get a lot of second-chance stuff, then I would have a concern on that on that front. Yeah, I would also say that's why the you mentioned – it's interesting you mentioned Temple – Temple's a perfect example of why the tournament is all about matchups. Because Temple plays that four-guard stuff with a flak really is the only big on their roster. Um, J.P. Mormon is, is more of a combo forward than, than he is a power forward. <clears throat> so if you get a team like that, yeah, you have an opportunity to kind of hammer them on the offensive glass. Right. But it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a complete toss-up. You don't know what you're getting until the draw comes out on Sunday. So... You can't just say we're going to bully somebody on the on the glass until you know who it is and what the makeup of their team is, you know, what your ability is to, to be able to punish them on the glass. Are they a good defensive rebounding team? Um, that's really why, you know, the, the, the phrase it's all about the matchups is so heavily used. Yeah, and if, you, if you're looking at the offense and trying to compare it to maybe the last few seasons and you look at the last three years, UC's scored fine in the tournament. They've shot the ball pretty well. I mean, they haven't made, they haven't shot a really, really high percentage. But for them, 
I mean, they're scoring 70 plus in most of these, you know, on average, um, if you look at their last few years, they just, the defense has been the issue, which will segue into that. So if you're <clears throat> looking at Cincinnati, they were, they were in the thirties in defense right around when they were in the thirties in offense, which is, which is very low for a Mick Cronin coach team. And now they, they had gotten down into the teens. I, I haven't looked in the last few days after the Houston game. I'm sure they're back up in the twenties. I'd have to guess. Right. Have you looked? Uh, I can look while you're talking. Okay. I, I, I can't imagine that Houston game did yeah. much for their metrics. No, no. So, I mean, they, they had they had uh, made some strides. and But some of that was, you know, that SMU game and just some really, really low percentages on, on both sides. But if you're if you're looking at, okay, you've got. 25. Okay. Which is about the fringe. 59 of, offense, 25 defense. Right. Okay. So 25 is the fringe of where, where Cronin has been in these last eight plus years. Yeah. I mean, they've been top 25 every year. They've been top 10 a few times. Last year, they were number two. So on the one side, you can say, hey, last year they're number two, and they still gave up a ton of points to that team that beat them in that game. And, um, <laughs> and, and they were number two. So you would think, hey, you're number two. You should hold that team to in the 60s at least. Right. But, but they're, they're getting matched up with the last two years, top five offenses in the country. And so um, they just it's, – it's, the concern is, like, if you draw a team like that, then you're going to be in trouble because – all things end up being kind of equal in the tournament as far as like, yeah, this team may be like a hundredth in defense, but they're going to try now and they have athletes and they have size or whatever. It's still going to be hard to score harder to score than normal against them. But looking at this year's Bearcats, they've had a lot of games where teams have shot 40 plus percent on them. I mean, I, and, and they've, they've, they've been able to, to um, save face by getting turnovers. The first UCF game and that Memphis game at home are two examples jump out at me if if they don't force 17 turnovers in those games those are two l's yeah. so and because both those teams are shooting in the high 40s so i've seen I, you know I, I think about the wichita state game at home the second one where you see one 72 62 and i think uc shot 35 percent and one and because they held wichita so low and I, I remember thinking like man this used to happen all the time and it's almost it seems like an outlier this year which is rare for Cincinnati there's just usually a lot more of those types of games and what you're seeing is teams being able to to shoot high percentages they're they're I think Houston was a perfect example of guys getting downhill kicking out to shooters UC can't recover in time guys are able to line it up SMU the first I mean you can think of a number of times so to me on the defensive side I've got more questions than answers for UC this year what, what about you Chad I actually don't feel too bad about it. Okay. Um, I think they have steadily and at times drastically improved. I don't think that goes out the window because of the Houston game. Uh, like you had talked about, I mean, they had they had moved up about 20 spots in defense towards the end of the season. So, I mean, I think they had figured out defensively. I, I do have one concern defensively. Okay. And that is that Nizier Brooks has to stay on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, he's – what did we look up the other night? It was – I think it was 10 of the 18 games in league play. He's had at least four fouls. Yeah, and that's a lot. I mean – Way and too many. They just I, – I, I mean, I really like Ellie. I think Mamadou at this point has passed him. Um, I think that's been pretty clear the last two games because there's been minutes there uh, and they have gone to Mamadou. Um, 
but this team defensively, I think, is at at their best when Nizier is in there uh, protecting the rim and being a guy that can, you know, really give a defense or give an offense fits. Uh, and and more than anything, this team is, as we know, not the best at the world at stopping penetration. So it makes things a lot easier when you have a six eleven guy that can block shots standing at the rim to help with that penetration. Like that changes a lot of things defensively. And he wasn't in there for a lot of the, the UCF game and he missed a lot of the, the Houston game with foul trouble. And I think that hurt him. True. So I feel better about the defense than I would if you'd have asked me this question probably two or three weeks ago. Um, but still, teams that have multiple shooters are going to be a problem. I mean, it, it, we know that. Like, that that's not even, like, speculation. We know teams that can dribble drive and kick to multiple three-point shooters, it just makes it really tough for the way that this defense communicates and rotates and scrambles. You can get the extra pass to a guy that, you know, that is going to probably get a fairly clean look. There might be somebody running at him, but when he catches and aim, you know, catches and fires, he's going to have a good look at the rim early in the process. So um, that part, yeah, you, you, you've got to be concerned with that part. Uh, more than anything, though, I just – Nizier Brooks has got to find a way, especially, you know, if we talk about and we spend a lot of time on Jaron being officiated properly, we also have to consider – the flip side of that, which is Nizir being officiated properly, yep. and that's concerning because <laughs> he, he he still has not and and some of it. I know you're you're a, a big a big uh, you, one of your thought processes is a lot of times the officials aren't very fair with him, and I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think he has picked up quite a few fouls this year. That I mean, hell, he's he picked up two fouls. Uh, in in two different games where he was drugged to the floor and the foul was called on him. Um, So I I think there is something to that, but he has got to find a way when he gets one, not to get that second in the first half. If he has two, he can't pick up that third early in the second half. Like those are critical times when you need him on the floor. uh, And there have been times that, that they haven't been able to to count on him because he's in foul trouble. I, I think that has to get fixed as we get into this weekend and next week. Yeah. And it's a combination with him. I think there's part personal vendetta for whatever reason against him by the officials. I feel like they call a lot of times where he goes straight up and then blocks the shot and they call him for moving his hand forward, even though it's a clean block. There's a lot of those, but, um, but he, he'll also kind of just at the last second reach in like the, the other day, the first foul he had was when I think it was Corey Davis drove in for a layup and he had the layup and he was already in the air. And Nasir just kind of like put his hand on his back. Like just for, there was really no reason to do it. He wasn't swiping or doing anything like that. They, they yeah. called it. They didn't need to call it, but they, it's just, he, he puts his hand in the cookie jar a little too much. And I agree. so he, sh- so it, it's part on him, but it's also part on, I, I mean, it just feels, and it just feels like there's, got to be at least 30 or 40 percent of the calls against him that are phantom so but yeah i I know you're saying he's very important um the 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 stopping the dribble drive stuff is is the scariest thing to me it just is i I just feel like they don't quite have 
enough guys that can that can stay in front of people. And here's I'm gonna I'm gonna, I might scare you a little bit with some statistics here. So I'm on I'm on my uh, my my new favorite site hooplens.com, and it's the one that that has like the on off. You should stuff. get them to be a sponsor of this podcast. You're right. I'll, I'll email. Holy I'll, cow. I'll, so, so I, I've dialed up, you can select certain games. So I went and selected the eight games UC's played this year against, um, at large tournament competition. I didn't include NKU, um, but I have Ohio state, Ole Miss, Mississippi state temple, both Houston's and both UCF's. And in those eight games, UC's defense is allowing 1.02 points per possession. Um, you know, and you know, UC like they're generally in that like point nine to point nine five at the highest last year they were in the point eights so um they're they're 1.02 they're they're giving up almost 39 percent from three against those teams yep um that's that's very very concerning um that i mean that, that's a really high number it, you you go into you go into the ncaa tournament and you give a team 39 percent from three um especially a, a team that's maybe even more well equipped than you are offensively Good luck. Um, so that being said, though, you look at the last few years, those teams, St. Joe's and UCLA and and, um, and the other team from last year, um, did not actually shoot. <laughs> no, none of those teams hit 40% from three. So UC actually did a good job on threes, but they gave up a really high percentage from two. And, they, and then here's the other thing. Um, the turnovers, they had very low turnover totals in those games, very low deflection totals. And those teams were, you know, it's just like you said, the matchup thing. So my, well, my thing generally, is like, yeah, generally in the in the NCAA tournament, you aren't going to be playing teams that turn it over a lot. Like, right. That's true. But I but somehow you got to be able to force more than like three. Yeah, um, that's fair. So, I mean, like, like the thing is, is these teams are averaging even if they're on the low end, they're averaging nine or ten. So you just have to work your you have to find a way to at least get them to the average to even things out because if you're I think UCLA got more shots at the at the basket than UC. I mean that that's like there's no way you're beating them. Like you know, basically like what Houston did to UC on Sunday was they got 15 more shots and um they I mean even if they didn't shoot the ball as well as they did, they still would have won the game. So that's where you got to figure out like how can this team force turnovers against a, against some good teams. Um they now this they were 20% turnover force rate against these eight teams, which is a, that's solid. I mean, you do that in the NCAA tournament, that's, you know, 12 to 15, maybe even a few more turnovers. So, um, anyway, that, that, I guess that my, my concern is they against, against good competition, they're getting hit hard from three. They're not stopping drives. You know, you, you think about Sunday, you think about Mississippi state. Um, you, you think about a couple other games in there. So, but, like you said, there there's some there's there's some reason to be optimistic because they seem to have figured a few things out. And certain players like Kane Broom's gotten a little bit better with his his attention to detail, the scouting report stuff. Um, so there there is reason to be optimistic. But for me, I might have a, a, a just maybe one more question than answer on that one. Okay, that's that's where I am. So how many more of these you got? Uh, two. Okay, let's let's rapid fire. Them? Them because okay, All right. we're, we still, we're we're running out of time, and we haven't looked at the conference tournament yet. Okay. All right. Well, then let's just do. Let's, all right. Well, the first one's rebounding. They've been up and down in that regard. Do you feel and they and Houston smoked them the other day? So just real quick, just make it you know a minute or less. You feel good about this team out rebounding somebody in the NCAA tournament? 
Uh, I feel good about them being fairly even. Uh, I think the big concern for me is we have not seen them on we, you and I off off the air, have talked about this team has not been a stellar defensive rebounding team over the years. Um, they've been okay at it, but that's not really been a uh, a big strong suit. Where where the strong suit has been is on offensive rebounding, and it feels like that over the past couple weeks has been very up and down. And they need to be consistent there if they're going to have a, a chance to win this thing because inconsistent offensive rebounding, especially when they're shooting, they've struggled to shoot. You've got to be able to to be able to to get on the glass and get in that thirty-five to forty percent range on offensive rebounds if this team is going to get into. Uh, winning the first game and then potentially making a Sweet 16, they're not going to do it at 22%, 25% offensive rebounding. Right, and and the guy you were just talking about, Nasir Brooks, here's another reason he, he needs to stay on the floor. He's by far UC's best offensive rebounder, 31st in the nation in offensive rebound rate. So that's one thing. And the other thing I would point to is that you, you look back earlier in the season and Keith Williams was – really helping out on the offensive glass. And he just hasn't – he hasn't had a lot of high rebound games. You, you think about I the think UNLV game. I think figured out you've got to get a body on him. Yeah. That but was an like, unknown in the scouting report yeah. because he's such a new player. Uh, that surprised some people early. They're not sneaking up on anybody with that now. Right. I mean, he just – he he's had some zero offensive rebound. I think he – you know, he's had some ones. He's had a few twos, but nothing nothing major – and I feel like that that's a guy where you might be able to get a couple extra shots at the basket if he can use his athleticism. And I feel like that's that somehow you have to get him back focused on doing that because he, he's the one guy in the perimeter that can get you a couple extra shots by using his athleticism. So yes. if, if Brooks stays in, out of foul trouble, then you feel good. And if, if Keith helps out a little bit more, you feel even better. And the last one, Chad, is, is the bench. The, you know, there was there was a time early in the season you weren't sure what you were getting – um, Kane was up and down a lot of, a lot of new faces, a lot of guys are, you know, who haven't had a lot of experience. And then, then there was a stretch in conference play where, I mean, they were key and huge. So what are you thinking? Bench, how are you feeling? I feel like at this point, we know the bench is not going to get you a bunch of points outside of Kane Broom. Right. Um, anything you get is going to be an added bonus. Um, so I, I, I don't look for that to change. But I do think that they need, when they are in there, to be better in their roles. Um, I think we've seen flashes from Trevor Moore. We've seen flashes from Rashawn Fredericks. Uh, now that Mamadou is finding himself more in the rotation, you get a little bit more of a, of a threat offensively there. Um, but as a whole, I, I, you're not looking to this bunch to score. What you're looking for them to do is give some breathers and allow the first six guys to put points on the board. Um, I don't know why anyone would, would expect anything otherwise. Yeah, I agree. It, if you look at the if you look at the metrics, the starting five um, has a big big spread on their offense and defensive efficiency. So you want them to play as many minutes as possible, and 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 then you'll you'll you know you'll have Kane in there too, um, spelling Keith, spelling Jaron, and spelling Justin Jennifer. Um, so, you know, you, you obviously want to put those six on the floor as much as possible. That's why 
when, when Brooks is out, it, it, I mean, it really hurts. Yeah. So, so, but yeah, so the other guys just, yeah, like I, I agree a million percent, just, they need to be, they need to be more sound defensively than they've been. Um, they need to, they need to somehow find a way to help you get a couple extra offensive rebound, that type of thing. And then, um, just, you know, just don't turn the ball over like, like stuff that Rashawn Fredericks was able to do in that Memphis game. He was key in that down the stretch. So yeah. I mean, they don't have – they're not – this isn't like a firepower bench team. But their starting five plus Kane can be enough to, yeah. um, to, to get them somewhere. When you look at these numbers here, it's just that you, ha- you just can't have a huge drop-off and allow a team to go on a 10-2 run when you take Jaron out for two minutes. Exactly. So, okay. Well, so overall, there, there's reasons to be optimistic. There's reasons to be pessimistic. But look – you can throw the stats out the window when it comes to the when it comes to the postseason uh, in a lot of, in a lot of respects, and there, there's been num- numbers or there's been plenty of times where a team goes on a run. You look at their numbers, you're like, what? How did they? Right. How did that team do it? And then you've seen other times where a team looks like they're never going to lose, and they're top ten in offense and defense, and they're a number two seed, Michigan State, and they lose to the 15 seed in the first round by like 12. Right. So you know who, who the hell knows, man. All right, let's get into it. It's the uh, it's the American Athletic Conference Tournament Preview. It is brought to you by Trace Pountas. Freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know that your coffee is fresh. Freshly roasted coffee tastes the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that has been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All of the coffee you find in your grocery and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Pountas offers a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped to your home. You can find out about Trace Pountas coffee by going to www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. They offer 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. They also offer K-Cups now. And you can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. Four different tastes. One of them will fit your needs. What you want to do, you go to the Trace Pountas website. You sign up for your subscription. You get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. That's your choice. When you sign up for a coffee subscription and you go to checkout, you enter Bearcats at checkout, B-E-A-R-C-A-T-S. And that gives you 20% off and you also get free shipping. So that's tracepountas.com slash coffee and get your coffee subscription. You will thank me. What I want you to do when you when you when you go and you get your subscription and you have it sent to you and you try it and you taste it and it's amazing, hit me up on Twitter at Chad Brendel. Let me know how amazing it is. I have not talked to anybody that has tried this coffee and didn't love it. So make that happen now. All right, Berg. Memphis it is. I love when the conference tournament is in Memphis. I will be down there with my dad. Um, looking forward to it. Bearcats open up on Friday night. They will play the winner of Tulsa and SMU. I am vehemently hoping to see uh, S- or Tulsa. I don't think that is going to happen. Uh, Jare Foster is back for SMU. What? Are, yeah, he played in the last game. Wow. Yeah. So I do, I want no part of seeing SMU on Friday night, personally. I don't think Tulsa has a chance to beat them, though. Not with not with Foster back and and them doing what they've been doing, um, but 
I, I can't believe I surprised you with that. I thought you knew everything. Man, I, maybe because uh, I, I, who knows? You know, you got a you got a baby, you got business, you got the UC getting crushed by Houston. I didn't really look at a lot of stuff. So yeah, that slipped right by me. So he's he's there. What about what about um, what about Jalen Adams? Is he back? Uh, Jalen Adams is back. Al Tariq Gilbert is out. Mm. So okay. yeah, that's that's um. I mean, it's it's probably a a good trade. Mm. Dre Foster played in their last three games, actually. Jeez. Played against Wichita. Played against Houston. That's when I noticed him back was the Houston game. Um, played against South Florida in the season finale. Only played nine minutes in that game. Uh, but seven points against Wichita. One for six shooting. Eight points against Houston. Two for six shooting. Three points against South Florida. One for three. Um, all of his made baskets have been three-point field goals. Um. Yeah, he's four for ten from three. Yeah. Which is about right for SMU. So, yeah, Dre Foster's back. That makes them even more dangerous. Uh, please, Tulsa. But I, I, I just don't It's not going to happen yeah. because Tulsa's not good, first of all. Um, so, yeah, I would expect to see SMU. And UC has played them in what, this five-point game and a three-point game. And neither Without one of those Dre games Foster. included Dre Foster. <laughs> So yeah, all right. Well, then if if that's what happens, then you, you know you better be wide awake for that that quarterfinal game. Yeah, not you personally. Um, just uh, I will guys. be. I I, yeah. I I anticipate being wide awake. Okay. Um, the rest of the tournament, top of the bracket is brutal. Uh, you've got Memphis playing tomorrow night. Uh, if Memphis advances, which I expect them to, uh, they will take on uh, UCF. Houston at the top of the bracket is the number one seed. The winner of UCF and Houston or UCF and Memphis gets Houston. I would assume that is that is not fair to the one seed to have that bracket. <laughs> yeah, well, too bad. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like, I know, I know. You're right. It, it you do all that work to win the the number one seed, and you get that bracket. You are not happy true but i think i think houston would love another shot at ucf probably i mean i'm sure they'd love another shot at temple if not for a charge with no time on the clock they beat temple at temple and they're they they have a 30 in one season true so but uh, do you have houston coming out of the top of that how do you handicap the top of the bracket so you're are you so memphis would play ucf in the winter you know, if chalk, if chalk, uh, yeah, if chalk rules, then they, the winner of that would play Houston. So Houston would either have to beat Memphis at Memphis or UCF. Um, I think Houston would beat either one of those teams. I think that's probably fair. I think the more likely upset would be Memphis. Yeah. UCF just beat Houston at Houston. It was Houston's only loss at home all year. They would come out for blood if they're playing UCF. I think against Memphis, maybe not. And maybe Memphis could sneak up on them at home with a full house. Two o'clock so. on, on a Saturday. Man, Jer- Jeremiah Martin changes things, brother. I, yeah, but Memphis, they got, they got guys that can check him. Houston's got quickness, man. They can stay in front of him. I know, he, I know, he, I know he's, 
Yeah, he can. I just feel like if, if Houston was able to go and match what Cincinnati was trying to bring the other day and and and, and you know beat them like that, then Jaron still got twenty and didn't yeah, play the last seven minutes. That's true. But they're gonna if they if they they'll they'll know what's up. They'll say, okay, everyone thinks Memphis has a chance to win this. We're gonna let them know that they don't. Yeah, I'm not so. saying. I'm just saying if I if I was to pick oh, yeah. an upset. It would be Memphis. I don't think it would be UCF because I think they would be looking to just smack UCF silly. Right. Personally. Okay. I agree. I agree. Bottom well, of the you bracket. Me how, yeah, you asked me how I think it shakes out, and I see Houston advancing. Yeah, I, I do too. I'm okay. just saying if I saw an upset, it would be Memphis, not UCF. Right. I agree with um, that. Um, bottom of the bracket, uh, Temple the four seed. You see the three – or temp, you see the two seed, Temple the three seed. Sorry. Um Temple's going to have a tough – if Wichita State wins that first game, Temple's got a tough. Wichita State's won, what, eight of nine? And, and yeah. they're playing really well. Greg Marshall's got them in position where they could be a sleeper in this tournament. Um, Temple, you would have to think, like, they're playing for their tournament life. If they lose that – they're, they're hanging on to the bubble. Everybody seems to think right now they're in, but by a very slim margin – you lose that first game, you give a lot of other teams chances to pass you. Yeah, it's true because you, you look what happened last night when when St. Mary's beats Gonzaga. That just snatched up a bid. Yeah, and and not even that, but there are other bubble teams that if yeah. they win are bettering their resume and could be moving ahead of Temple if they lose. So that's a critical game. I I think that's a toss up. Yeah, maybe I'm just too low on Temple. Well, they're Temple's pretty fickle, man. They they don't they they have not been that consistent. And, you know, they'll play well a few games and then they'll lose at home to Penn, and then they'll you know, they just I don't I don't I, it's hard to figure them out. I mean, they they just uh, so you know, if they have a very very important game like that and it's not at the Leah Chorus Center, then yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely a toss up. Who, who do you think you'd take if it was if that if that comes to fruition? Mm. I hate to go against my dark horse. I mean, uh, they didn't win, so the well, dark I mean, horses. I, well, the dark horse was more so like they're going to be in the running for it, but they they, they really weren't because Houston was so far ahead. But I I, I get you. Um, Eighty four in offense, seventy nine in defense. That's probably why they've been inconsistent. Yeah, that would that would definitely <laughs> do it. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think that's why they've been inconsistent. Although mm. Wichita State's one fifty in offense, seventy seven in defense. So, but Wichita State has, like I said, they have played better of late. They really struggled early in the year. Um, but did those one, teams? Did those teams play? What What happened when those teams played during the regular season? Do you, you got that? Uh, I don't have it right in front of me. Give me one second. So talk. I mean, I would, I would think, I, I know what you're saying about Temple and. Um, but I would, I would probably, I would probably lean toward Wichita State in that game. They, Greg Marshall, he can get his team in these situations. He's done it multiple times in the last decade. Yeah, this isn't one of his a, more talent. Hell of a postseason coach. Yeah, this um, is not one of his more talented teams. But that being said, I mean, so so Temp- Oh, okay. So Temple. Oh yeah, Temple had to come rise from the ashes to win at Wichita State on January 6th. I remember that because I, I turned that Over off time. thinking they were going to lose. Yeah, 85-81 okay, in yeah. OT. Mm, I'm going to take Wichita State, and then that's probably going to knock Temple. Um, they only played once. Yeah. 
Well, I guess you would have Temple's attention. No, because at Temple won. Yep, I'm going Wichita State. Cincinnati versus uh, I think we both think SMU here. If they if it's Cincinnati Tulsa, I feel comfortable with Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati SMU. Mm. I I would take the Bearcats, but it's you have to expect it to be another game that comes down to the final four minutes. Like that's that's what we know of these two teams this year. Yeah, you know, with, with these conference tournaments, when one team gets a bye. And then the other team had played on that floor the night before. That's another thing that'll scare you, especially with the way SMU can score the basketball. Especially early in the game, as the as the team that had the bye kind of finds their legs. Yeah, and UC's not a, a very fast starter, as we've right. seen. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were trailing in that one. I I don't know if SMU would have enough over the course of the forty minutes, especially because UC's coming off two losses and they generally never lose three in a row. Right. Um, so I would I would lean UC, but yeah, I mean I don't I don't think it's I think it's going to be a just gonna, right in long long line right in line with a lot of these games the last few months of you know you're not you're not gonna be able to take and take a breath until it's over. So I'll I'll go I'll go the Bearcats, but I, uh, I, I, so I'm that, scared of that one. So then we go UC Wichita State in the semis. How you got it? I, I would take you, the Bearcats in that one. Yeah, me too. And then Bearcats Houston in the conference championship. I would like to think UC would come off the mat and find a way to win that one, but I I would pick Houston. Yeah, you would have to. I mean, they, I mean, they were seven points better on their home floor, and then whatever it was, points they're... better in the final thirteen minutes on fifth at third arena. Yeah, it might be a <laughs> hair of an exaggeration. They were twenty two. Yeah. They were twenty two points better in thirteen minutes. Oh, yeah, woof. <laughs> the only, the only, the, the chance you see would have in that is if, is if Houston had a hell of a time getting through that semifinal game against yeah. Memphis or somebody, and they, because a lot of Houston is that they're able to match UC physically on the glass, all that stuff. So if UC plays Wichita or somebody, you know, that's not as not as much of a grueling game the night before, and then, and then Houston had a, a tougher time, and they just don't have as much in the tank, and then UC can do a better job in the trenches against them. I, I still don't think. It's just a bad matchup for UC because when they're because Houston is more athletic and quicker. That's and got better shooters. Well, yeah, okay, I wasn't, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, it's a triple whammy. So it's a lot to ask for for UC, but I think yeah, UC, UC, I would think would get to that final, and then it would be a, probably be a tight game just like last year because both teams are always so tired. Why can't they have the conference tournament? Have the a, a day in between the semifinals and the final. What what what's so hard about that? Why? I, I think it's just because you're asking all the fans to be there for an extra day. Yeah, I get it, but still, I mean, you get terrible championship games a lot of the time. I'd like to know. see one between the quarters and the semis more than I would the the semis and the finals. Okay. But yeah, because some of those some of those uh, mid majors, low majors, they'll have the like on the home floor, and then they wait until to do the semifinals or the finals at a neutral site. Right, they they have a yeah. little time in between a lot of times. So, some of them, I know the the Horizon did it like that. Yeah. Which, by the way, shout out to my guy John Brandon, NKU Norse, my uh, my old Marshall buddy from the from the mid nineties. A lot of people don't know John Brandon was the Southern Conference Player of the Year when he was at Marshall. He could hoop. Wow. He was good. He was really good. Yeah, good coach too. Great coach. And uh, that's amazing. For NKU, they've been eligible for the NCAA tournament for three years. 
They've gone to the tournament. They've gone to the NIT. And now they're back in the NCAA tournament. And and, and done from one of the stronger mid-major leagues. Like, the, the Horizon has talent. The, the Horizon has some teams com, that can play. That is not your lowest of low major, you know, 31, 30, 32nd place league. To be able to do what they've done in such a short time from jumping to Division One has been awesome. Uh, but I digress. So, we both have Houston and Cincinnati in the finals, one versus two. Uh, we both got Houston taking home the American championship. So, that's that not, is, so basically that means that's not going to happen. Probably not. Something, so somebody will get knocked off before. Wait. No, okay. Never mind. But – and you're, you're going to be there. You're going to have – I mean, you're, you're going to be in Memphis, and you're going to be at these games, and you're, you're going to be able to have a blast. And I, I understand the conference tournament from that perspective. And I got, I got uh, somewhat lambasted by my good friend Andy today. He said – that it, it semi annoys him that I don't care about conference tournaments. And I said, I said, all right, well, well, give me, th- give me five reasons. Give me two reasons why I should care about this conference tournament from UC standpoint. Cause what, what do they have to gain? Tell right. me one thing that they have. The, Cause I, even if they get to the finals and beat Houston, the seeds are already decided. I, I will say, I think the thing, yeah, that's the thing is that the, the bracket is pretty much already set at that point, especially, you know, with, you see it with the American being the last game uh, before the bracket is announced. They're not changing the bracket at five thirty when the announcement's at six. It's not happening. Yeah, the they've already said that. that. Yeah, the yeah, logistics said of that, that are not yeah. happening. Yeah, so it's so you could say, well, you know, maybe they would let's say they play Temple in the in the semifinals and and they beat them. You could say, well, that's another win against a. It does. It's not a win against a good. Turn. It's a. It's an eleven seed or whatever the case. That doesn't move the meter. And if you lose, it doesn't move the meter because you've already proven you could win on their home court. So it's a wash either way. Um, I guess you would just not want to lose that first game. That'd probably be the one thing you just want to try to get past that first one. And then if you lose in the semis or the finals, it's you're still get getting the same seed. And you probably still get the same seed even if you lose the first one. More than likely, yeah, that one can help hurt you. I think, but the other ones, I, I agree. All right, you good? Yes. That's all I've got. I think that wraps up another show. It's uh it's conference tournament time. I can't wait to get down to Memphis and uh I will uh I will be reporting from there. Stay tuned on the message board, stay tuned on social media. I will have plenty from Memphis as we roll on. Berg, it's been a blast. I will talk to you soon. Where's Kelsey to play us out? I'm Kelsey Brindle, and he's Justin Berg, and thanks for tuning in to the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. Yeah!